Greetings to those who watch below. It's time for another stop on our paranormal road trip of the US. This week we're heading to Washington State. But before we start, I'd like to say thank you to those who dwell below, an exclusive channel membership that gets you shoutouts at the start of every video. So thank you to Steffi Ray, Wicked Witch, Lisa Watts, Lefty Kim, M.A. Way, Julie B, Jess Black Curtain, Christina Groves, and Matthew Colgan. If you'd like to join them, make sure to check out the link in the description box. Also, you can now find me on Facebook and Instagram. Also, if you haven't already, subscribe to the channel, making sure you hit that notification bell. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy. The Haunted Convent by Solik Since I was a little girl, I always wanted to be a nun. So, when I was in my 20s, I decided to give up a career that I loved and followed my heart to serve God as a sister. I entered an order of religious sisters in Washington State. When I first moved in, I was surprised that the convent was actually a really nice remodeled old home, not a big stone convent that you see in movies. It seemed like the moment we moved in, odd things began to happen. First of all, we invited the bishop to come bless the house, and invited friends as well. Just as the bishop was about to throw holy water on it to bless it, the doorbell began to ring, not once, but several times over. There was no one at the door, but it continued to ring like crazy. I was videotaping this, and caught it all on tape. Even the bishop looked stunned. Finally, one of the guys who was a mechanic found a way to disable it. Prior to this, the doorbell had never rang like that. Not long after, one of the sisters was in her bedroom when she heard someone talking outside her room. She went out and saw another sister on the computer. The one on the computer asked her if she had a friend over because she heard people talking in her room. She said no, that she thought someone was in the hallway. On another occasion, another sister heard voices behind her and she was the only one home. Another time, I was asleep and woke up in the middle of the night to see an apparition that looked like an old man, all in white, right next to my bed. I screamed, and the minute I screamed, the apparition got a scared look and went away. I then turned on my light and began praying my rosary like crazy. I asked Jesus to protect me and also prayed to Saint Michael. I slept with the light on the rest of the night. I never saw it again. I told the sisters what I saw, and they said I was the first one to actually see something that clear. A few weeks later, one of the sisters was mopping the kitchen floor and went to the living room to get something. When she went back to the kitchen, there were children's footprints all over the floor. No one else was around to make the footprints, and she got freaked out. One day, six of us headed to Seattle for the weekend for a retreat. One sister stayed in the house by herself. She was a very outspoken sister, who was not afraid to speak her mind and very in-your-face, so to speak. When we got back from Seattle, the first thing she said was, Don't ever leave me in this house alone again. We asked why, assuming that maybe somebody had tried to break in, because it was in a rough neighbourhood. She said, Gangs and robbers I can handle, but there's something in this house that doesn't like me. She never really talked about what had happened, except she did reveal that someone kept coming into her bedroom at night and whispering her name over and over. On several occasions when I vacuumed the living room, I saw a black figure in the corner. 
it would then disappear when I gave a second look. Other sisters admitted to seeing something similar in the living room on several occasions. I moved to another city to continue my formation, and I would ask if things still occurred. The sisters said yes. Then things stopped. The church down the street had burned down and was rebuilt, and the day the new church was reopened, the paranormal activity stopped. They don't really know why, but were relieved. What I found out about the history of the home was that it was owned for a long time by an old man and his wife. They had passed away, and the house remained empty until the sisters bought it and remodelled it. The sisters don't own this house anymore. They sold it to a family last year, so I don't know if they have experienced anything. Still, it was my first experience living in a true haunted house. Maltby Cemetery This old cemetery is often called the Paradise Valley Cemetery. It apparently was the cemetery for the town of Maltby. The first burial seems to be in 1908, and the last about 1985, according to the grave markers. The cemetery is now on private property, not open to the public, situated on a three-terraced hillside which is very difficult to get through. One needs to have permission to visit it. It is very well maintained and has some stones which appear to be replaced, showing the good care it is receiving. There is also a legend associated with Maltby Cemetery. There used to be a staircase that began at ground level and descended down under the earth. It was said to be a low-grade entrance to the tomb of a wealthy family. According to the legend, you had to go to the cemetery late at night and walk down these 13 steps. While descending the steps, you wouldn't be able to hear anything. Though once you reached the bottom, if you turned around, you would be confronted by a vision of hell. They say that the vision would drive you insane. Those who watched people performing this ritual said that they witnessed the person stop at the bottom, turn around, and then collapse to their knees in horror. According to some reports, several children emerged nearly comatose from the steps. Many of them never uttered another word. The 13 steps no longer exist. As the story goes, they were bulldozed or filled in with concrete years ago. Since then, there have been severe no trespassing limitations on the cemetery, and there are even rumours of kids making expeditions late at night to Maltby Cemetery armed with shovels hoping to unearth those 13 steps down to hell. Thornwood Castle by Regan V Built in 1908 by Chester A. Thorne, this 27,000 square foot manor is of the Gothic Tudor style and is the only one of its kind on the west coast. Chester Thorne, one of the founders of the Port of Tacoma, was the first president of the National Bank of Tacoma, later the National Bank of Washington. He built this home for his wife. Since the construction, many notable guests have stayed within the beautiful brick walls. Both President William Howard Taft and Theodore Roosevelt are just two to mention. Pieces of this castle, like the staircase and stained glass, date as far back as 400 years. Construction took three years to complete, from 1908 to 1911, with many of the materials, including the brick, oak panelling, oak staircase, and the medieval stained glass, coming from a castle in Europe. 
Mr Thorne spent a substantial amount of time and money collecting the glass from the 15th to the 17th centuries. These artefacts were previously owned by a duke who spent 40 years collecting them. We had a chance to stay at the Thornwood Castle on Monday October 24, 2005, two days after our wedding date. My husband and I had started our paranormal group in the very same month, with only two cameras, two small dictation tape recorders and big ideas surrounding the two of us. Although we had been investigating two years prior with various groups in our state, we did not become official until this date. Mrs. Deanna Robinson, Thornwood's current owner, held a candlelight mystery tour on the evening of October 24th. What better way to have a honeymoon than with spirits, candles and tales? We joined in for an investigative style tour from the basement to the old top floor living quarters built for the servants. The tour extended out into the secret garden and surrounding grounds of the castle. The tour started with a fabulous dinner held in the formal dining room. At 7pm, my husband and I observed a few other guests present for the evening's events. There were two ladies from Canada, one single lady venturing out to complete a desire to stay at the castle, and a reporter for the Tacoma Home and Garden magazine. We discussed why we were there over a display of aromas, sights and textures to make any palate salivate with desire. While we ate, we were educated on some of the history of the castle, the past and current owners, and the story of Rose Red by Stephen King. After supper, with the plates being cleared, and as the rich desserts began digesting in our gullets, we gathered our equipment and ventured out. We started in the basement, where we learned of the local Native American tribes that blessed the castle. In the past, the tribes used this land as their annual gathering to come together, trade and share with one another. One of the oddest things to learn of the castle was the story behind the wishbone-shaped good luck charms. The story was told that during some construction in the 1910s, some of the Native Americans working on the castle were believed to have left small good luck totems in the shape of wishbones throughout the basement of the castle. To this day, the wishbones can be found sporadically and intentionally placed. We moved to the entrance level of the castle, where we learned of the first spirit to be seen walking amongst the living. Beneath the grand staircase is a small, almost unnoticeable restroom. Strategically placed, the bathroom is almost incognito with the rest of the rich-grained wood. This is where the story of the Cadwallader Colden corpse began. Cadwallader was married to Thorne's daughter Anna. They lived in the castle just shortly after the death of Thorne. One evening, the neighbourhood was privy to two ambulances carrying Cadwallader away from the home. It seems that Cadwallader was shot in the head by a rifle, survived, and to this day, no one really knows the reality of what happened. It is attributed to him that a spirit walks from that bathroom into the grand fireplace room. No one knows for sure, but speculation states it was an attempted suicide on his part. We continue throughout the rest of the castle, hearing tales of books moving, footsteps, distant disembodied voices and smells. We viewed each room, learned the history of who stayed, lived and loved in each. We came upon the bridal suite, used by brides getting married at the castle. We heard a fascinating story of a residual haunting in this room. On that one day, in a woman's life where she feels like a queen, 
how suiting to be married in a castle. In the bridal suite room, once the betrothed is dressed, adorned and ready, while peering into the full-length mirror, common reports of a woman in period clothing appears behind the bride-to-be. When the startled bride turns around, the apparition disappears. We continue throughout the castle, ending on the third floor. This is where my husband and I spent the evening, in the Rose Red Suite, beautifully located on the third floor. The Rose Red was a beautiful combination of antique and red decor. Down the hall from us was our exquisite bathroom, with a large soaker clawfoot tub, delicately scented soaps, and little bits of heaven in terry cloth. Further down the hall was originally built as servants' quarters. Another common haunting complaint was that of servants moving about in their quarters, when there has not been servants employed for many years. This was where our first abnormal event takes place. Before we get to our event, we take a walk out to the secret gardens and meander around the grounds. While we were out with the small, intermitted crowd, we heard Deanna disclose that she has never felt a negative vibe from the castle, only positive and protection. While she is talking about the castle being protected by angels, I take pictures around the garden statuary. My best shot to date was from the Thornwood Castle. To us and to Deanna the owner, it looks like an angel with widespread wings. Her head is bowed, her arms are folded in front of her, and she's amazing. We finish to the gardens and head to our guest rooms. We were the only guests staying on the third floor, two doors down from the servants' quarters. There were three other guests staying on the lower-leveled floors, but with the vast sizing of this beautiful castle, we would not have been able to hear them scream, run, or make any other noise, let alone talk. With them being such a distance away, we would not have been able to hear their alarm clocks. We finished putting our equipment away and crawled into our comfortable bed. My ever so enthusiastic and adventurous husband was asleep before he hit the pillow. I lay awake, taking in the air, the sounds around me, and just mentally reviewing the evening's events. My event to end my evening happened like this. I felt the air chill, equating it to the crisp Washington autumn air, but realised the windows were closed. I saw movement to the left of me, and watched as the sheer gauzy curtain covering the closet door billowed out as if a person were exiting the walk-in. I watched a man, no older than early thirties, in slacks, white shirt unbuttoned at the sleeves and hanging loose, but tucked into his slacks, and covered with a black vest, also buttoned, walk around the foot of the bed. He looked pale, like the high autumn moon illuminated him perfectly, creating an ethereal hue. He was of a tall and thin-built stature, with dark, clean and close-cut hair, that came to subtle sideburns around his chin and ears. He continued to walk around the bed, not aware of my presence, come to my side of the bed, sit in the chair next to me, turn and look directly at me, only to vanish slowly like something out of a Scooby-Doo cartoon. Is the Thornwood haunted, you may ask? Well, for this one-time novice and green spectral detective, it definitely was that night. Something Creepy About This Land by Mace When I was younger, my mum and I lived in a trailer in a wooded area on the edge of town. 
Since we had moved in, I had always felt an uncomfortable feeling. It wasn't just our home that I felt uncomfortable in, but the woods and the whole neighbourhood. It seemed as though the entire area had a strange feeling about it. I remember feeling at night and when I was playing in the woods that someone was watching me. There was a particular door in my mum's room that led outside. It was about four feet off the ground. No doorknob, dead bolted and sealed shut. One day my mum and I were taking a nap and when we awoke the door was wide open. We were really freaked out about this. There was just no possible way for the door to open. We ended up brushing it off as just a spooky happening. I remember my mum and I casually talking to our neighbours up the street. They said that since they had moved in, their dog had been chasing invisible things and staring and barking at nothing in their house. A few years after we moved, my mum finally told me something our landlord had told her that gave me chills. Supposedly, our landlord was working late one night in his yard. It was about 12 at night when he heard what he described as a loud screeching noise. He said the noise was gut-wrenching. He looked up and saw a human-sized white blur floating across the yard. It kept on screeching until it made its way into our yard, then disappeared. He told my mum the following day, obviously frightened by the event, wondering if she had experienced anything that night or heard anything. My mum didn't tell me at the time because she didn't want me to be scared of living there. Flash forward to a couple of years ago, my dad went for a hike in the area. I never told my dad about what had happened, because he doesn't really believe in those kinds of things. After he returned from his hike, he told me that being in that area made him feel extremely uncomfortable. He kept describing feeling creeped out by the woods and uneasy. I couldn't believe that him, out of all people, actually felt the exact same thing I did being in the area. My dad is huge on hiking, and I have never once heard him tell me that he felt creeped out on a hike. Recently, upon looking for information on the area, which is called Dishman Hills Natural Area, I found that there have been several bodies found there, most of them transients who have died of unknown causes after staying in the woods. I just found a recent one where a killer actually dumped the body there. Another fairly recent one is a hiker who fell to his death off a cliff. All of the deaths have happened after we had moved. This is a fairly small state park, as opposed to other state parks in the area, and I find it strange that so many have died in this small area. I've been trying to find the history of the actual land, but since I no longer live in that state, it's been hard. I'm so curious as to what could be causing this. From the way that I felt and what our landlord said, I believe this isn't human, but demonic. I'm not sure, but maybe something happened on the land that caused a lot of suffering, and out of that came a demon. The Walker Ames House by Divine M.S. Junebug I've been a paranormal investigator since 2005. I've started this because I've always been fascinated by the paranormal, not because I had any experiences as a child. So I was a bit sceptical of most people claiming to have ghostly encounters, although I do have a very open mind. When I first started out, I took some classes on learning what to do. At the end of the series of classes, our instructor, a man named Neil McNeil, took us to an amazing town called Port Gamble. The last day of the class, 
we got to investigate an abandoned mansion called the Walker Ames House. This house is beautiful, but it hasn't been lived in for decades now. The town keeps it up as much as they can for special events, but it isn't up to code to have anyone live in it permanently. Neil told us the history of the house and the ghost stories. In my mind, I was thinking this was just going to be a fun night exploring an old historic lumber mill home. I didn't think it would change my life forever. As I said, I'm a skeptic. My mind cannot easily be changed or fooled by people. I have to see things for myself. There were six of us in the house that night. Neil split us up into two groups. One group went down to the basement and we stayed on the second floor. He had just warned us to stay out of this little hallway by the attic door. It was between the bathroom and landing, because he was feeling a strong presence there of something. In my mind I just thought, sure you did, and walked to a far bedroom. I heard him in another room answering questions of the other investigator, but when I came out, I saw his shadow in the hallway, the little hallway he had just told us not to stand in. As I walked over there to see what he was doing, the shadow quickly came toward me and disappeared. I started for a second and was stunned. I could still hear Neil and the other person talking, but the shadow was gone. I couldn't process it. I went around the corner and saw them talking in a little room right around the corner of the bathroom. I interrupted them. Who was just standing in the hallway? I said way too loudly. Neil looked at me for a second and said, um, June, no one was standing in the hallway. I said, no, someone was standing in the hallway. I saw their shadow and it's gone now. He looked at me and smiled and asked what the shadow looked like. I saw a dark black shadow. It looked a little short with a thick middle and bald or round head. It was still light outside, but the sun was setting. All of the shadows were elongated. This one was standing straight up and down. I even went downstairs, outside, found a leaf and tore it in the shape of a person and put it up at the stained glass window, just in case it was natural. Nope, definitely not that. I was at a loss for words. When finally I had no explanation for it, Neil told me that unbeknownst to me, several people had seen shadows of people upstairs and several people reported seeing the shadow of a short, fat, bald man. I wasn't the only one. At that moment, while he was telling me this, we heard a yelp from the stairway. Another person coming up the stairway said that she swore she just saw the shadow of a person running across the landing before it disappeared. After that night, I realised I was hooked forever on being a ghost hunter, and now I'm vice president of one of the oldest ghost hunting teams in the Pacific Northwest, the Advanced Ghost Hunters of Seattle, Tacoma. Hi there guys, thank you so much for listening to today's video. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to leave a like, and also if you haven't already, subscribe to the channel, making sure to hit that notification bell so that you never miss a video. So, until next time, sleep tight.